Welcome to Deed and Truth, a podcast exploring loving God and loving our neighbors, not just in words, but also in actions, and with the Bible as the source and standard of truth. I'm Tommy Morris, and today we've got three of us in the studio. I have Scott Vitro, who's been hanging out with us for the last couple of weeks in the studio, and Sean Schomer is back, back in town, back in the studio. Guys, I'm glad you're both here. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, glad you're back with us. Glad you're back, Sean, <laughs> with too. us. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, we missed you, man. Yeah, it was a good trip, but it's good to be home. Yeah, it's good to have you back on the podcast. So we're going to be switching some things up. This will be a new format that we have going forward with you two guys. So I'm excited to uh, see where this goes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've been going through the five solas. And today we are on number four, Solus Christus. We're going to be talking about Christ alone. And one of the main verses we're going to look at is Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And I think that about sums it up. So thanks for listening. Have a great day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's clear. There's no misinterpreting that, right? <laughs> no. no, so we do want to look a little deeper, uh, but that is going to be one of the main verses we look at. But before we do, you know, guys, we talked, we want to kind of lay a foundation of just who Christ is and, and some aspects of Christology. And so the first one we would talk about is the fact that Christ is eternal. You know, I think there's some people out there who would teach that Jesus is a created being, that he was like the first of God's creation, or there are other religions that may just say that he's just a man uh, or a prophet or a, a teacher, but that he has a finite time, that he was not present from eternity past. So uh, what say ye? Man, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's important to kind of lay a foundation between like two different things about Jesus because there's the man Jesus, and then there's the work of Jesus's life, right? And you know, there's two different perspectives. Um, you know, the secular world how they view Jesus as the man and his work, and then uh, even within the church, the the distinctions there. You know, so you know most. People on the planet recognize Jesus as a historical person, right? Um, even the most secular atheists, like nobody can really deny he was real. But, you know, just acknowledging that he was a person, you know, isn't quite enough. And uh, I mean, it's, it's a distinction even within the church, too. I mean, you, know, you can have, you know, big, you know, religious differences, but, you know, pretty much all Christians agree on, you know, Jesus as a person. Um, you know, th there were some heresies, you know, in the early church about, like you said, you know, him being created or even being like an illusion or something like that. Um, there's a bunch of wild theories, but I think uh, one of the things we need to hone in on, because I mean, it's really kind of the point of, of the solas is, you know, to make this big distinction um, is that the work of Jesus is viewed differently from different religious perspectives, right, within the church. And I think uh, I think it's probably a good starting point to talk about uh, those differences, you know, like was his sacrifice sufficient, you know, things we've talked about before, or is it his sacrifice plus works, you know, and then kind of that, you know, up against the backdrop of how the world sees Jesus, you know, it's like, a, well, he was a good, good guy, good teacher, maybe a prophet, you know, things like that. Um, you know, when in contrast, you know, we go to all these scriptures and I mean, Jesus made some really, really bold claims. And I think that they're worth talking about because it goes back to, you know, you, you did a whole podcast on the you know sufficiency of scripture. And I mean, I know it challenged me, you know, going back through the gospels and seeing the claims and the things that Jesus said, I mean, were outrageous at the time. And, you know, if we're going to believe in the entirety of scripture and what Jesus says about himself, you know, we have to accept these claims too about who he said he was and is. Well, that's, I remember hearing a story of Odie Bauckham being on a plane and talking with a lady about who Jesus was and her saying, you know, I, I believe that he was a good man. He was a good teacher, you know, long list of things, but it was just not that Jesus was God or, God or anything like that. But then he asked her, you know, do you believe that Jesus was God? And she said, well, no. And well, do you believe he was eternal? Well, no. Do you believe that he died for our sins? Well, no. And his point to that was, well, Jesus made claims about himself 
that you're saying aren't true. So that would mean Jesus is a liar. So if he's a liar, how good of a teacher, how good of a person could he really be? If that's your logic, you know, because he said these things about himself. You know, Jesus said that he was eternal. And so if we say, well, he was, he was just a good teacher and he's a created being, well, how good of a teacher is he? He's not even telling the truth about himself. So we either have to believe what scripture says or we don't. You, know, you can't really have it both ways. Yeah, I mean, scripture Scripture even says, like here in John 8, says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And that's Jesus speaking. And then in John 1, 1, where he talks about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And then in Genesis, whenever they're creating, you know, he spoke. So God used his word to speak creation into existence. He spoke, let there be light. It was good. Let there be creeping, crawling things. It was good. And then when he created men and women, it says, let us create, you know, let us create them in our image. You know, you got God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and they were before before any light, earth, anything, was God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit just perfectly, the triune God just perfectly existing without us, not needing us, just perfectly existing. Just like, well, let's create an earth. Let's create a universe. Let's create man, you know? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's awesome that right from the get-go, God is speaking in those terms of us and our you know, and showing, because I think a lot of, a lot of times people will think about creation in terms of God, the father and forget that Jesus and the Holy spirit were part of creation as well. That the Trinity, um, which could be a whole other episode we do sometime where we dig into the trip, three persons of the Trinity, but you know, they were all there together at creation and, and, you know, it even says that all things were made by him. Or in him, all things were made. I think that's maybe how it's worded exactly. The life of Jesus wasn't just four books. It, there's so much more than that. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that when people say, I just follow the words of Jesus as though the entire Bible yeah. was it written by yeah. him because yeah, he is God. Like the right? red letter. Yeah. It's like, it's not red letters. I'm not listening to it. And it's like, well, technically they're all red letters. <laughs> right. so exactly. We look at the you know eternality of Christ. But I mean, Sean, that's a, that's a great point um, just to start with, because, you know, I was, I was doing some research on this and, you know, sadly enough, you know, they, they've done a lot of, um, you know, surveys, even just in the last few years of, you know, just people in the church. And, you know, there are alarming statistics statistics about, you know, how people view the Trinity and Christ and, uh, you know, these different topics. And a lot of these responses are either, you know, borderline or they are heretical beliefs. And, you know, it's, it's, it's our job to look at scripture as a whole. You know, this isn't us trying to tell you how to believe this is, Hey, look at scripture as a whole and kind of see, which is fascinating anyway, just to see how God's story is so wide and so big. Um, and how it all comes together, <clears throat> because just like, you know, Sean pointed out, you know, before people were even created, you know, we get hints at the Trinity. And I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. One of the things that blew my mind earlier in my walk as a Christian was uh, coming to the realization that Jesus was there at Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, because we have this such modern idea of like, well, God is all love. Jesus was all love, you know, wouldn't hurt a fly. And it's like, look, like if we claim that he was eternal and he said that he was there um, even before Abraham. So yeah, he, he was there at Sodom and Gomorrah when all that judgment came down. Um, he, he was the one making that decision, you know, and, 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 you know, enforcing it, you know, so, so it really puts it in perspective too, of like, you know, we, we don't just focus on the love of Christ. There, there is that, but we also have to be, you know, conscious of, you know, not repeating history because we have so much to look back on and not ignoring uh, God's justice either. And I mean, and how gracious was he, you know, to come and say, look, like I've given you an example of what happens with sin with Sodom and Gomorrah. And here's a way out here. You know, you can't do it on your own, but I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to make it really easy. All you have to do is believe, you know, that I can and will accomplish this work, um, you know, to tear that veil between us and God. 
you know, and, and usher in that, uh, that restoration. But I mean, I love this topic because I mean, there's, you know, th- this isn't one of those topics where, you know, you can kind of, you know, eh, there's different interpretations or we can cherry pick scriptures. I mean, it is scripture rich, you know, John 14, six, like I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And, you know, that that's an exclusive statement. That's a very I mean, just on top of his bold claims of, you know, deity, being able to forgive sins, all these different things. um, He is saying he is the only way, Um, you know, which which I think, you know, a lot of times we don't like because we like to look at, you know, different world religions and things like that. That kind of point to like, well, all paths lead to God. And he makes it very clear, like that's that's not the case. Yeah, it's it's interesting when he says I am the way the truth and life right he's just if you look at the times jesus said i am right i mean you already read john 8 you know where he said before abraham was i am and that in stating and jesus using that term i am is not just him in john 8 saying that he was before abraham and he was eternal the jews would have understood by him saying i am he is invoking that that name of god upon himself yeah which yeah. would have infuriated people and oh, understandably yeah. so you know like I, Moses was like who do I who do I tell him who sent me he's like I am you know yeah it's like he doesn't really give he doesn't really give that's the name he gives to Moses and then Jesus is using that name yeah so then for them that's oh you're claiming to be God and that they want to stone him you know they're like that's you can't say that you know but he does and I mean it's it's throughout you know he says in John 10 that he and the father are one and Colossians 2 9 says that in him talking about Christ the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily so over and over in scripture I mean we continue to see yeah I actually saw it on Twitter this week where someone's like Jesus never claimed to be God I'm like yes he, he did have repeatedly. you read the Bible <laughs> you know over There's and multiple over. verses yeah where he where he does and not just that but then even the apostles as they go on I mean in in second Peter Peter writes that he is what does it say? To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, our God, and then refers to Jesus Christ. And so it's throughout scripture where Jesus stated he was God, the apostles and authors of the scripture claimed that he was God. So there is no doubt that he is God. So we know that he was eternal. We know that he was God. And, you know, at some point, you know, we can, you know, dig deeper. I think you do an episode on on Christology as a as a whole. Uh, but getting back to what you were saying, he said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him." So let's look at this. You know, solus Christus, Christ alone. He is the only way, the only means to salvation. So we've been talking with Scott and I the last couple of weeks on faith alone and grace alone, and the idea that there are works. Uh, but on top of works. People look at other, maybe people or avenues. Uh, so what are some alternatives we see to Christ alone in the world today? Themselves, ourselves, the whole image of self, that yourself, morality will save you, just be a good person. That's big in the new age and just people in general. Yeah, humanism. It all points back to self. There's a lot of religions that bring up other people. I think the thing is, is, as we talked, I think we said that you know Christianity is the only religion that doesn't invoke a works-based righteousness, right? Yeah. Um, but some of the other ones, you know, they they look to other people. You know, Buddhism to Buddha, Hinduism has like a million gods. Oh yeah, Christian, you know, and, you know, different. Yeah, yeah. you have Confucius. Well, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago too about like just how much the Greek and Roman world still impacts us today. Because if you think about it, like. If you kind of have this mindset that all roads like lead to God, like that kind of reminds me of like the pantheon of gods, like in Greek and Roman culture. And it's like, well, you know, Zeus is kind of like the big dog, you know, he's the ultimate God, but there's all these other gods we can pray to and offer sacrifices to, to kind of ultimately, you know, get there. And obviously we, you know, we would laugh at like the idea of Zeus today. But, you know, it's really similar, you know, like whatever we think like, oh, well, you know, a Buddhist can still, you know, go to heaven or this person or that person. It's like, no, no, no. Like it, it's very exclusive. And I mean, we, we hate hearing that word because we live in a world of diversity. But, you know, to me, it's a lot like looking at the pantheon of gods and saying, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what path I take. Um, I'll get there and God will understand. And it's like, well, yeah, he does understand. And that should frighten you. 
how much he understands about you um, and, and who you are. But God um, knows my and, heart, Scott. What? God knows my heart. Yeah, he does. <laughs> You're right. He does. And that should terrify you. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it terrifies me. I was, I was even, you know, talking about like, you know, Jesus's exclu- exclusivity. I was reading through Matthew 10 yesterday and I think it's the part where uh, he sends the apostles out on their first missionary journey. And, you know, you start getting pumped up because he's like, you know, I'm going to give you the power to, you know, raise people from the dead and heal the sick and, and all these things. And it never hit me before. It's like, well, Jesus did those things, but he also forgave people's sins. He did not give the apostles that authority because that authority to forgive sins lies alone with God. And even as his delegates, they were not allowed to do that. So, you know, even that to me sets a standard um, for him being the only way to God as our intercessor. And I mean, it, it is it, it just it amazes me how bold he was, like you were saying about the I am statements like you have to really, you know, use your imagination and think about like some 30 year old something dude who's, you know, never had, you know, official, you know, education or training in any of this. And he's running around telling people your entire religious establishment is wrong. And they misinterpreted scripture. And not only did they misinterpret it, but it's all about me. It all pointed to me and then claiming to be God, claiming to forgive sins. And, you know, the, the thing is, I want to, I want us to remember too, is that, you know, we, we don't look back at what the Jews did and, you know, point a finger like that should remind us to not repeat history, to not do that. Because, you know, more often than not, we're kind of like that, too. Because, I mean, think about if some 30 something year old, you know, because I, I imagine rabbis of the day, you know, decades of experience, super wise, you know, older men and stuff. And they're like, who is this guy? Like, I would be mad, too. Like, if somebody came up in our church, you know, claiming to be God and saying you were wrong about everything. Like, yeah, your natural instinct would be to be upset about that. But they're, you know, they're, they're missing the point that like all of Old Testament prophecy, you know, pointed to him and, and they missed it. Well, it's interesting. Even the time where he, uh, was it a, someone that was paralyzed and he said, your sins are forgiven. And they were like, who are, you know, yeah, who, who, are you? who are you? Yeah. He's, right. like, what's, yeah. he's like, what's, what's more important, like the forgiveness of his sins or that, you know, I heal him. And the, like the Pharisees are blown away and he's like, Go pick up your bed. Go home. Yeah, so that yeah. you know to, that the Son of Man has you. the power yeah. to yeah. forgive sins. But, I will tell him. Before he does <laughs> yeah. the miracle of pick up your bed and go home, he does the miracle of forgiving that man's sins. Yeah, yeah. super cool. Yeah. I mean, it even goes back to his birth. You know, when the angel, you know, is is talking to Mary, and you know, in Matthew one twenty one, you know, that she will bear a son, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins which fulfills, you know, Isaiah and, and a lot of other Old Testament prophecies. But I mean, and it wasn't talking about just the Jews because then, you know, Jesus, you know, couldn't save us from our sins because we're not, you know, Jewish, you know, nationally or by religion or blood or anything. He's talking about a people set apart for himself from all tribes, tongues and nations to save them from their sins. And it's exclusive. Jesus is the only one who can do that. Yeah, and it's good you mentioned that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of numerous prophecies, especially you know throughout Isaiah. You know when you read about the coming Savior, and then you look at Jesus's life, and you see the fulfillment of those words and those prophecies from Isaiah. I thought John ten was interesting uh, in the the sense of the good shepherd and the door. So I want to look at that you know just real quick. And in uh, verse one, truly, truly, I say to you, who, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And then in verse seven, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. And then again in verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so he continues to go on, you know, so we see it again later. We already quoted John 14. So, you know, four chapters later, and he's saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But he's already set in the stage here in chapter 10, stating that he is the door. He is the way in to the sheepfold. And anyone who attempts to come by another way is a thief and a robber. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter how big the building is. If there's only one door, there's only one way in, you know. And like you said, he repeated it three different times in the same chapter. So John 10, 10 is quoted a lot. You know, I'd, I'd say nominal Christians, many probably know John 10, 10, right? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. And more often than not, when I hear this quoted, people refer to the thief as like Satan. Satan is coming to, to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you. But if we look back at verse 1, verse 7, verse 9, I mean, what do we what do we see when we take the whole thing in context of who the thief is? I mean, does it does it look like it's speaking of of Satan himself? Maybe in a sense, but I think there's more to it. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, that is probably like a you know an honest first thought of it. But um, yeah, I mean, if it's anyone trying to get in that door, you know, also who you know shouldn't be getting through that door, then um, then that's that's a thief too, right? You know, I, I think, you know, we've talked about false teachers before, um, people who try to lead, you know, believers astray or, you know, strangle out someone's faith, you know, kind of going back to like the four different types of seeds, you know, some of them sprout up and then they're strangled by, you know, weeds and things like that. And I mean, you know, it, it really does make me think about other world religions. And I mean, I, I really wish, I mean, I, 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 you know, God says it too, that he wishes that, um, I don't know if he says wishes, but he desires that everyone should be saved. Right. But, you know, to me, if we look at the context of like the thief, the enemy, you know, I, I would almost see other religions that way too, is like, well, why, why wouldn't the enemy want to set up something similar, but leads down a totally different path? You know, like we talk about spiritual blindness a lot and things like that. And it's like, you know, you can, you can follow a, a religion that, you know, maybe gives you some peace or some insight into something or maybe helps you feel better about yourself. But I mean, what what a better scheme, you know, from an enemy, from a thief than to try to, you know, duplicate it, but make it a little bit different. You know, j- just like we look at, you know, what Satan, um, you know, said to, um, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, like he was quoting God. He was making it sound like God's words, but then he twisted it. So, so we see that pattern from the beginning that the enemy tries to take something like God but then, you know, perverts it. And I think in our own sinfulness and just being spiritually blind, you know, we can look at another religion as like a path to salvation, but it's totally a false path that leads to death. Yeah, I think the key word is the twist. Is it Satan takes it and just twists it just a little bit, you know, give you like an ounce of truth, you know, just a little bit of similarity and then twist it. I mean, I experienced that in my own life through yoga and new age and all that crazy stuff. I mean, it's, it's just a twist. That's all it is. It's a trick. And like you said, in the garden, it was a twist. And there ain't nothing new. He's just he's just telling the same old goofy lies, and we're just buying into it time after time. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the thing when you think that it's saying that the thief is one who says that you can climb in by another way. It's not that they're offering a different, I guess, destination, right, you would say, or end result. They're offering the same. They're, they're trying to say you can get to the same place. Yeah. So they're not denying that, which I think is part of that appeal. It's part of the, tw- of like you guys are saying the yeah. twist, right. Of, well, we're still, we're still heading the same place. We're just saying that, well, we can come over here and climb the fence on the side instead of going through the door. Yeah. yeah. I like how it paints a picture too. Cause I mean, you think about it, like you see it in the cartoons, right? A thief, like going to rob, you know, Bugs Bunny's house or whatever. He's not walking in through the front door. He's uh, sneaking in through a window, you know, or coming down the chimney or something silly like that. So it kind of paints that picture of, you know, Jesus saying he is the door. I am the door. You know, it says it three times. Scripture repeats itself. Whenever scripture repeats itself, usually it means, hey, pay attention. (laughs) Yeah, especially when you see something like three times. That's usually a a big emphasis. Yeah. And then, you know, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. So, yeah, false teachers, true, but just your own self trying to trying to get to heaven or get to that whatever, whatever you think that end goal is trying to sneak in your own way because you don't want to go through the door. You want to go through the window or the back door or, you know, it's denying that denying that you have to go through Christ, through the door, through the narrow gate to enter into fellowship with God and Christ and trying to just do it your own way. And somehow like thinking it's easier that way too. <laughs> right? <laughs> when it's like, okay, like unless you can stand a hundred percent holy, perfect before God, like 
you're you're not going to get there. Like you have to have someone mediate that. Yeah, for it's you. so much better this way. And and he makes it easy too. So it's really dumb. It's like you know, it's almost like you know, like you said, like whenever you get robbed, and it's like. Why, why don't you just ask me for some money? Like I would have given yeah. you some. And he's what do you think about like saying like you don't need to rob me? Like I will offer you salvation. Yeah, you know, just do it this way. Yeah. You know? When you think about heist movies, right? Nobody, nobody ever had to have an elaborate plan and schematics just to walk in a front door, right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's always it's so much more work. It's always more work to try to go in through some sideway or back door or yeah, something and, like and that. And, to, and we, and we see that fruit, you know, we're talking about like looking at the fruit of someone's life to see if they've been saved or not. Like when I look at people now who are, you know, 30, 40, 50 plus years old who still don't know Christ, like I look at their life, you know, and some of them are fairly happy, but you know, a lot of them just look like worn down. You know, and or like they're bitter about something or, you know, or they're still chasing after the next thing to try to make them happy. You know, we see that all up and down with celebrities in Hollywood and, and there's there's nothing at the top like it's still empty, you know, trying to do it by yourself, no matter how successful you think you are. You know, once once you get to where you think you're supposed to be, like it'll never be enough. Like you will always have something in your you know deep in the pit of your soul and heart that's empty. But but we just refuse to try to fill it with uh, or to let God fill it with with Christ. You know, it's a stationary bike. Yeah. <laughs> Pedal for an hour and go yeah. nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So I think one of the things both of you kind of hit on is is with this twisting and, and kind of the deception and the thief bringing in elements of truth would be that sometimes the big deception is this acceptance of Jesus. I mean, I think for you, Sean, with your history with yoga and the new age, I would say that Jesus is not rejected the person of Jesus necessarily, not in all circles. Yeah. No, I mean, I would, I've even heard people say like, oh, I acknowledge Jesus. You know, he was, he was a teacher. He was a great guy. I, you know, I see the Bible as a history book, you know, which now is so goofy. It's like, man, if it's a history book, like, is it just a history book full of lies or, or, what anyways yeah but yeah so so whatever but yeah i mean i've heard it said like we acknowledge jesus we acknowledge god you know the bible's a history book stuff like that and it's not that you know it's not christ alone which is what we're talking about christ alone it's it's like yeah that guy too and you know Hanuman and Shiva and all these other crazy gods and we're gonna bring in some Buddhist monks to talk to us and you know then that's all like self just self 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 because Jesus can add to the enlightenment yeah right? it's the red letters it, it, and it's I wouldn't even say it's Jesus plus I'd say it's plus and Jesus the other way around like Jesus is just like a a tag for them he is the plus yeah he, he for yes exactly for them Jesus is the plus and it's it's really just to to make that more inclusive to trick christians into into doing yoga and new age and all that crazy stuff yeah i mean well i, I mean it's based Which off out of another uh, topic for another time right <laughs> i know you can't wait to to do that episode and we will get there but i mean but that is all based out of india right that's is that where it was founded yeah, India from, from Hindu beliefs, right? Yeah. And and that is one thing I saw when I was over in India, is a wide acceptance of Jesus. They have no problem accepting Jesus. The thing is, they'll they'll take a statue of Jesus and add it to their mantle of thirty other gods. I mean, India literally has millions of gods that, that they will yeah. worship, and so they have no problem receiving Jesus because there's kind of this idea of better safe than sorry, right? So we'll right. add him just in case he's the way. Yeah then we're, we're covered. That, that reminds me of Paul, you know, like, uh, where, where was it? Was he in Athens or was it Corinth? I, 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 yeah, it's probably Athens, but anyway, yeah, the major Greek, you know, city and he's wandering around looking at all their gods. And then he finds the one, like, you know, the, the tribute to the unknown God. It was, it was the same thing just to cover their bases. Right. Hey, in case we forgot somebody, <laughs> you know, this is for you. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, um, tell you who that one is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, and I, I think like as Americans, you know, we, we can look at something like that in like a modern religion and, and reject it and be like, well, no, I don't believe in, you know, several gods, but, but we, we still replace like the multitude of gods with other things, you know, with ourselves, with money, with career, with, you know, fornication, with, you know, fill in the blank drugs, whatever, where, you know, we're still giving 
our worship to something, but, you know, but it's, it's just not God. You know, we, we think some way that there's salvation in that. And even, even just celebrities and politicians, you know, like that's really matter. Like what spectrum you're on, like Donald Trump's not going to save us. And, you know, neither is Greta Thunberg, you know, like none of these people are going to save you, you know, no matter where you're at on whatever, you know, spectrum, our heroes, our politicians, you know, and, and we really get like, crazy about it especially in this country where it's like oh this is the person who's gonna you know bring salvation to our land and it's like no they're not you know unless they're on their face you know directly praying with god saying hey lead me help me lead this country or you know whatever the cause is like it's going to be corrupt well it's but, interesting but yeah. like it's like we give our worship to that <laughs> yeah. almost. yeah it's idolatry because it's well even in some of those uh, kind of mindsets it's like well, I'll believe in Christ alone for my salvation from hell, that eternal thing, but I'm going to trust in all these other idols for my happiness and my life between right. now and then. And then Jesus is just viewed as like fire insurance or a get out of hell free card. You know, it's not about a relationship with him. And, and there is that idolatry. And I, and I think it goes back to like time, talents and treasures, right? Look at yeah. those things and you'll see who your true God is. So... Thinking about Christ alone, if we're saved by the work of Christ alone, we're obviously not saying that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit have no part in our salvation, right? Right, because they're all one anyway. But yeah. Yeah. Well, because you know, there's like a Jesus only movement, right? That have you ever have you heard of that? Oh, like the like the no no creed but Christ type kind of yeah. Or, you know, there's there's different variations of it, but there you know, there's some who will only get baptized in the name of Jesus alone. Um, there are oh, some who, okay. who say, well, I won't read Paul. I only read the gospels. I'm only going to read Jesus. There's a lot of people that are like Jesus only. Yeah. And, you know, salvation is through Jesus. And it's almost like God, the father and God, the Holy spirit don't really have a part of, of that, hmm. you know? So, yeah. no, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, especially about the baptism about part, cause I mean, how was Jesus baptized? Like. I baptize you in the name of Jesus. Jesus. In the name of myself. Yeah. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. he can't, he set that example. I don't know. That That's interesting. Yeah, that's just kind of silly. <laughs> and even after Jesus was baptized, like, the father looked down and said, this is my son whom I'm pleased with. So, was was Jesus telling him that he's pleased with himself? Like, just, just read the Bible. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, we talked about that some of the last couple of weeks. It's really the, that foundation of Sola Scriptura that Sean, you and I recorded on, right? That really is the foundation of all of this. Like a lot of the issues come from people just not reading their Bible, Yeah, you know, and not, and, and, and then even in reading it, maybe not meditating upon it, not studying it, not going to other faithful, mature Christians and saying, you know, help me you know, in some understanding of this and looking at all of this in context. And so just a lack of understanding, a lack of reading scripture has led to so many false beliefs or wrong ideas about who God is and the work of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, but John six forty four, I mean, just to, just to point out the work of the father in salvation says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Those are the words of Jesus. So this is the funny thing, right? These people who are saying, I only follow the words of Jesus. I'm Jesus only. And Jesus is making statements throughout. We've seen primarily throughout the book of John, Jesus making statements that completely contradict what they think. They're clearly not that much about the words of Jesus only. Yeah, they really need to read. The book of John is all about, like, let's get down to business, you know? Like John goes hard on the the triune God and just like Jesus is God. So I don't know, maybe they just skip over that book whenever they're reading it. Well, maybe they they do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and they're like, John probably says the same thing. I don't need to read it. I don't need to read it the fourth time. (laughs) Well, I mean, like that, that's just silly, right? Because if you think like, well, I'm not going to believe in, you know, some other man other than Jesus, you know, even talking about the apostles. And it's like, well, Jesus didn't write these words down himself. <laughs> these were other men writing down Jesus's words. So it's like, well, I'm going to believe them whenever they, that they quoted Jesus correctly, but I'm not going to believe them on anything else that they wrote. Like, right. what? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But there are also the people who are quick to quote modern authors 
You know, I think I said once before they're quick to, to quote Richard Rohr, the Franciscan monk who's a universalist and doesn't believe that Jesus is Christ. Uh, he believes Christ is the universe. Uh, and people will quote him, but then they will turn around and go, well, the Bible was just written by men. Like, you're literally quoting men who are still alive and were on Oprah last week. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's an important distinction because, I mean, I, I, I walked through that, too. There, there was, like, a big chunk of my walk where, like, I was doing so much research, like, trying to find a kink or, a, you know, a, in the in the armor of the sufficiency of Scripture. Because I wanted to know, and, like, I challenge you, like, go research. Like, well, why did they put this book in there? You know, why is this considered Holy Scripture against the backdrop of just like, well, I think maybe this was somebody's opinion, you know, because, you know, lots of people have claimed to, you know, have been inspired in some revelation by God and they wrote it down, you know, like Mormonism, you know, was visited by an angel and, you know, all this stuff. So, um, but, you know, the, the cool thing is, is there's a ton of evidence. There's a ton of reasons why and go research it yourself, because like that helped me to actually believe every single word that's written in scripture. And even if I didn't like it, you know, like it was like, okay, well my heart needs to change, not necessarily scripture. Um, even these books, you know, written by other people, but, um, you know, they were, they were written by the apostles. They were a select few that God chose, um, you know, including Paul later on, obviously where, you know, he decided to, uh, to, to express his, his word, you know, through them. But no, I mean, we, you know, we don't believe that after that, um, after the book of Revelation was written, that uh, that was the end of Scripture. And we cannot add anything to it. I mean, we look at like, you know, a lot of the you know titans of church history and, you know, St. Augustine and all these people. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we, we can look at what they wrote, but it's still always secondary to, uh, to Scripture. And, you know, that kind of gets into the topic, too, about Christ alone is, you know, how the church sees you know, his work, like it was either sufficient totally, or it was his sacrifice plus our continued work or plus what the church says. Um, and just kind of, you know, splitting the authority of, you know, where, where salvation actually lies, because, you know, like in, in, in that sense, you know, the church could always say like, well, you know, the, uh, the Holy spirit has guided us to now say this and make this official church doctrine to, you know, to, to whatever, you know, to go against scripture, to, you know, kind of uh, assage, you know, modern politics, whatever. I mean, it just leaves the door open. And, and to me, that's that's so fickle because it's like just like everything else, that means that the word of God can change. It can shift, you know, with the times, just depending on how the church interprets it. And it's like, no, this is Christ alone. This is what he did. It's sufficient. And this is the end of scripture right here. And everything else, every other commentary or opinion, you know, can be important, but it's secondary. Yeah, Charles Spurgeon said, visit many books, but live in the Bible. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've never heard that one. Oh. Yeah. Well, so also, so going back to the fact that the Father and the Holy Spirit are part of salvation, you know, we read the part about the Father in John 6. We're going on continuing in John, of course, chapter 16 says, and when he, and it's speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so we see the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation as well in that initial drawing and that initial conviction. So we see that the the initial uh, phases are actually done by the Father and the Holy Spirit, that the Father draws, the Holy Spirit convicts, opens our eyes to sin, judgment, and righteousness. Then the ultimate act of salvation is through Christ alone. And first John, John had a lot to say about this. <laughs> so in First John 2, 2, speaking of Jesus, he says, he is the propitiation of our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And side note, when he says the whole world there, we're not talking literally the whole world. This is not a scripture that points to universalism. Again, we need to look at the entirety of scripture and understanding what it means. But but to really focus today on this part, he is the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? Propitiation means averting the wrath of God by the offering of a gift. It refers to the turning away of the wrath of God as the just judgment of our sin by God's own provision of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So this is a big thing in progressive Christianity nowadays, like the guy Richard Rohr and a lot of people from like the emerging church movement. They deny penal substitutionary uh, penal substitute substitutionary atonement that's the one yeah <laughs> thank you no worries yeah. 
Yeah, and they would say that uh, this idea of Christ being a propitiation for our sins is inaccurate, that why would God's wrath need to be satisfied, need to be, why would there need to be an atonement much less a blood sacrifice for it. You know, they've yeah. gone as far to call it cosmic, cosmic child, child abuse. abuse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me. I'm like, did you not read first John? Like, I mean, it says that he is the propitiation. So if it says it, how are you going to say, well, God didn't need that. I mean, my first response, I mean, not trying to stand up like a straw man, but I mean, if somebody does believe that my first question to them would be like, well, why would you demand justice? If someone hurt you or killed your family member, you know, like, the, the exact same thing. It's like, well, you as a sinful, broken person demand justice when you're wrong. So, I mean, why why would God, you know, not demand justice? R.C. Sproul, I had a, there was a lady at one of his conferences who asked him about this because her brother didn't believe in it. Yeah. She's like, what do I do? And he said, steal his wallet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's funny. You'll see, see how quickly he wants justice. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's, that's the issue though, is we have this culture of like, and yes, Jesus is love. Like his love is so abundant and his grace and his mercy, but he would not be God or a good God if he also didn't demand justice. And we struggle with that. We don't like that because, you know, like we said in other, other shows, like we, we, we love justice being served when we get to see it with other people, but we never want justice for ourselves. And, you know, we think too highly of ourselves or that we're good. And, you know, the thing is, is, you know, we, we cannot stand before God justified um, by the way we live our life. We just can't because we don't seek after God. We still fall short every day. You know, we literally say I'm only human when we make mistakes and it's because we can't do anything perfectly. So, yes, like God does demand justice. And I mean, just because we don't like it doesn't mean it's not true, you know, because we, we, we want to skip over those parts. And just like I said earlier, you know, Jesus was there, Sodom and Gomorrah, like that was an extreme enactment of justice, you know, and then to think that, you know, you could still see the smoke rising from Sodom and Gomorrah, like 400 years later, like that is an example of like, this should make you stop and think not to, you know, fear God, like he's, you know, angry, but to have like a, uh, a respectful fear of like, OK, this is serious to God. You know, this demands something just like any wrong demands to be righted. You know, well, the crazy thing is nobody seems to raise any issues with the abundance of blood sacrifices cr- that were required throughout the Old Testament. Yeah. You know, a lot of these progressive Christians, they just I don't know, they seem to kind of ignore that part as though that wasn't a foreshadowing of what was to come and that Jesus was the ultimate and final blood sacrifice for our sins. Yeah. That there would no longer be the need to sacrifice bulls and sheep and and doves and whatever for our sins. That it is, as he said, it is finished once and for all, final payment, done. Right. And, you know, people love to say, like, you know, quote, you know, like, well, you know, no one has greater love than this, that someone will lay down his life for his friend. And, I mean, I just want to point out, too, like, it's just, it bothers me because people like just don't even realize how much it's ingrained in our nature that we need a savior. And, you know, the Bible talks about us suppressing the truth, but like I think about like our culture and stuff and I'm like, think about the ultimate or all time favorite movies as Americans, you know, they're either superhero movies or they're love stories. Right. And we love it when we see like a true story about, you know, soldiers out fighting and, you know, one of them decides to jump on a grenade and sacrifice himself for his friends, you know, or the love story where the guy has to die, you know, to save the girl. You know, we literally love that stuff. Those are our top favorite type of movies that, you know, hey, these helpless people need a savior. They need a superhero to stop the evil, to stop the, you know, but, but it's the exact same thing. It's like, we need someone to save us from evil, to save us from sin. Yeah. Yeah. We look at those as like the ultimate act of honor or the ultimate act of love. Right. To sacrifice yourself for someone, right? Out of love. Well, it's interesting, you know, you saying that because going back to John, once again, in chapter 10, these are, you can see on my app right here, these are red letters, red letters, right? You see that? Yeah, red letters, confirmed. In John 10, 17 and 18, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. 
this charge I have received from my father. In the American Gospel documentary, they're talking about this, and Vody Bauckham kind of addresses it. He says, did, did God kill Jesus on the cross? Yes. Did Jesus go and die willingly? Yes. <laughs> it is both and. Wrath and forgiveness or grace, justice and love. It's, it's not either or. It is both and when we look at all of these things, you know. And so, yes, God sent Jesus to die upon the cross. But Jesus also clearly in his own red letters of John, for those who need red letters, says that no one took his life. He laid it down willingly. Yeah, which, I mean, demonstrates how much he, he loves us and what, you know, the lengths he was willing to go to save us from God's wrath. Because, I mean, you know, the thing is, if, if, if you want a Jesus that just forgives everybody, you know, I, I would just have an analogy like going to a courtroom. Like imagine someone viciously or violently murdered your family member or your kid. And then the judge was like, well, you're OK. I, I, I forgive you. Go free. Like you would lose your mind. Right especially because there's no repentance in that. And, you know, we, we would demand that justice, you know, and, and it's, it's the same, it's the same thing. Like our, our sin, you know, going back to like the superhero analogy, you know, like we have to be saved from something and that something is our sin, but just like in every movie, it costs something. It always costs something because sin and evil demand that someone stand in between and offer them or fight them off, you know, in order to make things right again, right? So it always demands something. Well, thinking about the courthouse. free. Yeah. Thinking about the courthouse thing, you know, one could argue and say, well, that judge was very loving towards the criminal, towards the murderer. Yes. But is not very loving towards the family. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah. there's a contradiction there and, and feeling like a lack of justice is the only way that having no justice is the only way to show love. No, it's not because it's not being loving towards someone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There, there is love in judgment, you know, discipline, just like a parent, you discipline your child. There's, there's love in that. You don't want them to develop bad habits. You don't want them to grow up to be a bad kid, you know, be a bad person. So you discipline your kid, you train them, you teach them just the same way. God, our father, trains and teaches us. I mean, in the Proverbs, he who spares the rod hates his child, you know, and it, not to take that out, like you should take a rod and like beat your children or you hate them. <laughs> you know, the the picture is like the shepherd with, the, with his shepherd's cane, shepherding the sheep, you know, kind of nudging them back in. The old shepherd's cane had a big hook on it. If they got in some vines, he would grab it and pull them out. You know, if one sheep was biting another sheep or something, kind of whack them, you know, bad sheep, you know, kind of keep them in line. That that discipline is love because you care for your sheep. You want your sheep to be good little sheep, you know, and all that. So the world looks at judgment as like it, there's love in judgment, and the world just looks at it as, you know, judgment is just like hate and wrath, and there's, there's no love in it, and it's, it's just a... I guess kind of like a weird definition that we we can't we can't have judgment with love. You know, judgment is all just like hate and wrath and malice and just like this is this is justice, but there's no love in it. I mean, I, there's love in judgment. Well, yeah, I mean, scripture even says that that God disciplines his children. And so if someone's telling me that they have a life of no discipline or judgment at all, no matter what they do, well then my first question is going to be are you really a child of God? Because Scripture promises that there is discipline for those who are his children. That's part of that love. That's part of not allowing us to continue on a path of sin or destruction. So, yeah. Well, I think people don't like it, too, because we like to interject our own definition of love. I mean, you know, look at our yeah. world today. Like, you ask, you know, 10 different people what love is, and you're going to get different answers. It's yeah, like, especially well, nowadays. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, it's it's not up for interpretation because God defines what love is, you know, because he's the author and creator of everything. And he also defines what justice is, too. But we just we, we get so wrapped up because, you know, like we don't like the idea of judgment. Like I said, we you know, we always want to see it. And then we get mad when we don't see it. And going back to God's love is like, you know, we I don't think we fully understand when we just look like short term. You know, like when we see something that's wrong, 
and God hasn't judged that person or whoever or that nation yet. And it's like, well, out of his love, you know, he tells us like he's holding back his wrath to give people time to repent. Right. Because the thing is, is like, you know, whenever we, we demand justice for someone and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with demanding justice, but you know, I don't think we, we think about like a double justice that, that comes because, you know, uh, God put governments here, you know, he ordained that. And one of their jobs is to enforce the law, right. To enforce, you know, judgment. So someone can get the death penalty here and then also go to hell. You know, someone could get away with a murder in this life, but they're not escaping judgment. So, you know, he's holding back his judgment in certain circumstances to give people time to repent out of love. But 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 it's just funny because we get mad either way. We don't like judgment and then we don't see it, you know, the way we think it should be applied. So then we're mad, too. And then we're yeah. like, oh, well, maybe God doesn't care. Or, you know, he's not involved. And it's like, no, he is demonstrating perfectly his judgment and his love. That's the key. Scenarios. I mean, we want it on our terms. It's the same thing. I mean, we're going back to from judgment but also going back to us talking about salvation through grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, all of it from salvation to judgment, to the whole package. We want it all in our terms in our way. And that's the only, and, and the thing is, is, is Sean, you kind of hit on this people wanting a God and really in their own image. And that's what it really boils down to. You know, we want it all in a way that is convenient to us. That boils down to a God who looks like us. Mm hmm. All right. Well, any final thoughts on Christ alone, John? Mm -mm. So just to, to, to finish things up, we will just quote again, look back at John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Acts 4, 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And... The thing about Solus Christus is I, I look at it as kind of the anchor to the five solas. You know, yeah. it is it is faith alone in Christ. That faith is in Christ. It is grace alone. It is grace bestowed upon us by Christ. Scripture alone, Sean, as you said, he's the word. In the beginning was the word. And, you know, that Jesus is the word. And scripture is, I mean, to an extent, it is a history book. It's a it's a story of Christ and his redemption. And so it points to him and it is all for the glory of God alone. So it is to bring glory to the name of Christ. And so the five, the five solas kind of get anchored in this one, um, which I think is beautiful. So Scott, I'm glad to have you joining the team. Yeah. Thanks man. This I, is exciting. It's been a lot of fun. Sean, glad to have you back in town. Good to be home. Glad we could, uh, I'll get in and record together, and I look forward to the next one. So next week, we will finish out the five solas as we look at Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Thank you for listening. Be sure to be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We'll be dropping new episodes every Monday, and that way you won't miss an episode. You can check us out on social media. You can find us on Twitter at deed underscore truth and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching the Deed and Truth Podcast. You can also check out our website at deedandtruthpodcast.com. All right, until next time.